Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Trash Future. It is me, Nate, filling in for Riley, who's on a holiday far away from the United Kingdom. Today is not the bonus one. It is, in fact, the free one. He's in a unique microclimate. It's the free one. (laughs) Exactly. Riley can't stop me. You're listening to The Gunge. And The Gunge. Two bits. Exactly. Yeah, I wrote wrote notes for this episode. We've got a guest on this episode, but we're just going to fight the urge to just do bits nonstop and not talk about anything on the subject matter. So- you're going Join- to fight the urge. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and also, uh, crucially, I am not in the studio right now. So what that basically means is they can they can just go hog wild and mute me if they want to. But uh, I have uh, today we is myself. It is, of course, Milo and Hussein in studio. We have oh, yeah. Alice Caldwell Kelly on the distant lines in Glasgow. That's and we're right. joined from the greatest city in the world, New York City, by Alex Yablon. Number one, baby. Number one. <laughs> Classic actually, slice. Mets World Series. Thanks for having so, me. You're very welcome Pleasure. to come on. Yeah, we're, we're happy, to, happy to have you today. So Alex has written some great stuff about municipal financing and a lot of just the state of, of how things are called too expensive, even when we need them in society because of neoliberalism. That's kind of a potted uh, summary. We're going to talk about that. But before we talk about that, we have to have a special bulletin update because our friends at Lordstown Motors have finally done it. They claim they are actually going to be able to build an truck, an single truck that a couple of their clients who have paid in advance a long time ago are going to receive an electric pickup truck sometime early next year. The the pickup truck will be delivered to them from the top of a very large hill and it will appear at an increasing velocity. Exactly. Their clients, a guy who owns a muffler shop in Ohio, have been quoted as saying, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, effectively, over the past couple of months, all has not been well with Lordstown Motors. Their CFO and CEO have both resigned. They basically had to do an emergency round of funding. They got some funding from a venture, cap- venture capital firm or um, a private equity firm, rather that dumped $400 million into their company so that they might be able to produce a single electric truck. Uh, I'm going to read quick stuff from this press release that I found about this. Effectively, they said, executives struck cautious tone in the second quarter earnings calls. They tried to assuage shareholder concerns and address the near-term realities, bring its first vehicle to market without any revenue without any revenue, to offset its costs. Lordstown's approach, at least this quarter, was to try and reduce operating costs from the previous quarter, helping it offset its increase in capital expenditures. Lordstown reported a net loss of $108 million, which is a 13.7% improvement from the first quarter loss of $125 million. It's getting getting better, you know? We've managed to only, only lose $100 million this year. Yeah, Lordstown Motors getting the coveted Trash Future Most Improved badge. (laughs) (laughs) It's net losses are more than tenfold higher than the negative uh, 7.9 million. So ne- a loss of 7.9 million. That might sound like a, no- a lot of net losses, but you got to look at this from the other side. That's a hell of a lot of net lessons. You know exactly. what I'm saying? Fuck you. They've learned so <laughs> fucking much. Out, man, I, 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 I can't see you, but <laughs> no I, knew, I knew that you were going to go there. We work together a lot. 
Yeah. I was just I like, know. oh, I could t- I could tell from the confidence in your voice kind of drawing out that sentence that it was going to be all my losses as lessons. Uh, so mm-hmm. I just want to point out, we don't really have a lot to talk about with this. Um, we do, however, need to reiterate that this country, this, this country, fuck it. Uh, this company went public via SPAC and was at one point valued at $1.6 billion uh, without having ever produced a single vehicle. Yeah, because the market really wants an electric truck and nobody can build one. Yes. You know, someone's got to do it. The Cybertruck looks like you've turned the polygon count really low because your graphics card is glitching. I don't know. I mean, this kind of looks like an old Mazda pickup truck. It just doesn't exist. So there are problems with each, unfortunately. Like I have a very sort of ignorant observation but also one that's rooted in truth which is very much like look if the guys on pimp my ride could like make cars with like two tvs and a fish tank in them like it can't be that difficult to do a self-driving electric like truck yeah it shows how much <laughs> well, the- lazier engineers have gotten since the era of pimp my ride that's you know? true they don't, they don't have tim westwood to motivate them like in pimp my ride uk or exhibit in the united states yeah exactly yeah they mm. need exhibit to go and like hype them up <laughs> yeah the great exhibition yeah. Alex, I don't know if we're about the same age, but I feel like I, uh, I, I'm part of the micro generation for whom having a PS2 in a car was like the coolest fucking thing. So, oh, yeah, I guess. Uh, oh, yeah, I definitely yeah. like I, I mean, I my parents only ever got me a PS1. And so like P- PS2, they were like, what do you need PS2 for? We got the PS1. Not that, yeah. not that they that actually sound like that, but like that's my, you know, that's how. Uh, PS1s are worth a lot these days. Yeah. So like they were, I oh, think they, they were onto something. I reckon I've still got one somewhere. But I mean, like one so thing I, I don't I get it. about these like EV startups is like, you know, did, Ford's going to do this. Like Ford's got, like they're going to roll out theirs at the same time. You know, they've just eaten yes. the lunch of of Tesla and Lordstown and these like fly by night. And it's like well, actually the boring old companies. I have an answer, which is that like all of these things in order to attract this investment have decided to do the same thing, not in like the more sort of like reasonable way of we're going to beat Ford or whoever to market, but in the, we're going to do a, some weird Baroque shit. So the Lordstown Motors trucks deal was that the motors were in each wheel. Oh, um, okay. fuck, yeah. That, that shit did not work ever. And also, it kept setting the wheels on fire. <laughs> <laughs> This is like are your own personal like F thirty five or something like. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, we we did an episode on this with Brian Quimby from uh, Street Fight Radio about the idea that they were like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna revive this Rust Belt community with uh, an American made electric vehicle. It just the problem is that it's a walking fire trap. That also, if I remember correctly, yeah, the uh, the engines were in the wheels. They caught on fire, and it it couldn't it, like its brakes didn't function, so it would just roll downhill. Or like it, it en- <laughs> its engine didn't actually generate any. Uh, it, they weren't able to make it work. I'm sorry, I'm distracted. A neighbor cat has sneaked into my fucking house, and I'm watching this cat try to get out the window. So uh, I'm going to let you guys do some <laughs> riffing you know, actually, and talk about I electric have cars. A, I, I have a. Uh, a toddler and we just got a book from the library about a delightful cat that is uh sneaks in and out of his uh london terrace blocks uh different townhouses think, and has yeah. a different so i'm just assuming you're a character in my kids uh no i think i think book. i think the real message of that book is that um houses need better borders right and better border mm. control right, exactly <laughs> Yeah, we need a volunteer border force for Nate's garden. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Oh my god, did you see that they made the volunteer border force real? Yes. Yeah. Incredible. 
the, uh, the uh, Hussein, you were the one who who told us about this, yes, right? The, what, what's um, going on with this? So, uh, what's his name? But he's the kind of like head of the Labour group in Ashford, which mm. Alice, you you might be familiar with. But anyone yes. who is uh, familiar with the People's Republic of Kent. Uh, we'll be aware of uh, both yeah. Ashford and uh, the place that it occupies, especially in its proximity to Dover. So the, lab- the head of the Labour group in Ashford CLP basically put out a tweet that went along the lines of, um, in order to stop the migrants coming in from Dover, maybe we should have a volunteer border force Um in order to like, you know, because the new kind of like right wing thing is that um, the, uh, you know, the, uh, I, I can't remember what it's called, but the, uh, the kind of boat, the boating service that kind of helps. The RNLI. RNLI. Yeah, the RNLI. Those fucking snowflakes in the RNLI. Yeah, so they're yeah, apparently. Li- yeah, lifeboats, so so, lifeboat snowflakes. So they're apparently, yeah, they're apparently snowflakes, but also like hardline identitarian communists. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way to stop them is to get blokes down the pub to form volunteer. Um, anti-migrant yeah. army. Sorry, did you as, say as that? Says, did you say that this is a uh, that this is labor putting together? Yes, yes. A, a yes, labor local politician has suggested we just we use local people from the town and we form them the into his his comparison was the home guard from World War Two. So, so I've I've got the tweet. Yeah, I've got the tweet here. I'm just going to read it out. Um, so this is Brendan Chilton, and he says, here's an idea. It's quite clear the channel migrant crisis is not going away. The government haven't got a clue. How many people arriving and then disappearing? Perhaps we need to form some sort of, quote, home guard, voluntary, to support the Coast Guard, police, border <laughs> force, He included voluntary. So yes. he, you know, mm. Just so you know, he's not going to draft you into this. Yeah, thing. I mean, that like... That would be very funny. Yeah, I mean, like, you wouldn't be the modern Labour Party if, like, um, even, even with your, like, bizarre state fund or, like, your bizarre kind of vol- uh, border force that they have to yeah. be voluntary because that in, shows in order yeah. to get your like duke of edinburgh gold award you have to do some <laughs> volunteer border guarding you know i have to say yeah. like i'm always really grateful for the existence of the labor party because it makes me feel a lot better about myself having to vote for the american democratic <laughs> party like that's like mm. I- so, I'm, so I'm these really guys excited have stopped for voting for the Labour Party, and I haven't. Mm. I still do it reflexively, and every time, that's a like, oh, that that's a dark experience. That's I'm very excited for the Volunteer Border Force biopic film where they have to get Jason Statham out of retirement <laughs> to make the, the Volunteer Border Force, and then he's just like, I've retired, and also. I've only ever hunted nonces. <laughs> I don't know anything about the border. They're like, it's like, they're like nonces, Jason, but for borders. <laughs> they're trying to nonce the country. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> if you put it, yeah, if you put it that way. That's right. That's how it be. The thing about the Labour Party is that while at, for a, a brief four and a half year span, the, the leadership was captured by the left of the party. Basically, there's about 30 people in the Labour Party who aren't insane authoritarians. And uh, basically, now that Corbyn is gone, done and dusted, they uh, they have returned to their original form, which is um, punch left, punch migrants, punch people on benefits. And why is country not voting for me? Uh, and that- kill alpacas. Yes, That's kill- their other party oh, trick. Keir Starmer weighing in entirely unprompted in a sort of like minor silly season scandal. There's this alpaca, right? Um, which has bovine tuberculosis. 
And the government have had the conservative government have said, okay, you have to like kill this alpaca. This alpaca has to be put down for public health reasons. Uh, which fine, regular uh, like public health agricultural decision, whatever. The owner doesn't want to kill the alpaca, and so this alpaca named Geronimo has been dragged through all of the newspapers. Um, and then j just as this was sort of petering out, and they were going to kill the alpaca, Keir Starmer in his role as sort of like a sacrificial alpaca for this mm. government, just like yeah. threw himself on this grenade and just went, well, I welcome the government's decision to murder this alpaca. Geezer but I, kissed armor. <laughs> but I I'll call on them. Yeah. I welcome the government's decision. Look, I think here in the Labour Party, what we need to do is say to alpacas... <laughs> Whatever kind of wool that they have, that they are welcome here in Britain as long as they go through the proper channels. And I think some <laughs> alpacas, alpacae, if you will, they're trying to jump the queue ahead of a lot of alpacas who have applied for residence in this country and maybe being prioritised for reasons of their need. And I think that that cannot be allowed to happen. And those alpacas should be humanely destroyed. He's he's in the sun as heartless Keir Starmer right now, which is great because <laughs> there, was Rob Keir Starmer. there was no reason for him to say anything. But it was amazing too, is if I remember correctly, the quote that he gave was, "I'm afraid it seems there's no alternative to killing Geronimo the alpaca." <laughs> <laughs> Thatcherism, there's no alternative without a fucking petting zoo. Like, <laughs> I would have preferred if he had come so out like much, John man. Cena. You I know, fucking love it here. Oh Compromise Geronimo the end. Yeah, <laughs> well, but both both uh, Bin Laden and this this alpaca both codenamed Geronimo when they're about to be killed. <laughs> Very uh, a little, little bit of resonance there. <laughs> well, well, um, you know what? We we we've talked about Lordstown Motors. Alex, you and I had a conversation, and I wanted to give you a chance to address this just before we move on to your piece about uh, a lot of people are invested in the idea that if you just make every car electric, then climate change goes away because we no longer have a problem. And I recognize that electric cars, to my eyes, are pretty like there's a lot of people buying them here. There's a lot more infrastructure here. There's not like a, the Tesla infrastructure, but um, because distances are shorter, like for most people's the, journeys, the government have like announced that they're going to do an iconic charging point design. <laughs> yeah, they're going to make the red phone oh, booths, but no. for charging, it's, it's going to be so bad. We know it's going to be an oblong red thing. Uh, I know. I was tramping. I'm in my excited Tesla for a little port. Thomas Heatherwick on every parking spot. I think. Oh um, my god! You know that's uh, you, you know apparently because of all the lockdown binge watching from toddlers and slightly older children of Peppa Pig. If they just do a Peppa Pig themed charging point, Britain's going to have so much fucking tourism for the <laughs> yeah. next twenty years. Like Peppa Pig have... on every street, you plug your electric car into like the snout. Yeah. But I was going to ask you the question, though, about this this conundrum that's uh, getting across that having electric cars does reduce emissions, but that doesn't mean that you do away with all of them because steel, carbon intensive. That was what you told me. I, I know nothing about yeah, it. So I, wanted to pick your I mean, brain about like, that. you know, I, I like the, the fact, you know, it's certainly like way better to have an electric vehicle than it is to have a uh, than it is to have an internal combustion engine. But at the end of the day, like. You know, the cuts that you have to make are so intense. Like, it's still like an electric vehicle is still like a 2,000 to 4,000 pound hunk of steel. 
and we don't really have like a non-carbon intensive way to make steel. And I mean, I guess, you know, like obviously you're not then burning tons of, of fossil fuels once you make it. Uh, but you're still like, you gotta, you gotta make 2000 pounds worth of steel. Then you got to transport it probably on a non-electric shipping, you know, contain, you know, mega, mega shipping boat. Th this is, and this is why my, my political position, my sole political position, that more cars should have 70s style wood grain on them. <laughs> It's exactly. so strong is that we just make yeah. more and more of the car out of right. wood. Let's make I mean, more wood. Is Everyone really has like... to drive an electric Morgan. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like you know what would really be low carbon is is just living somewhere where you don't need a car at all and can mm. like walk mm. places and bike places and I mean this is like there's a very not a tedious... huge amount of steel in a bicycle, right? I mean, like... there's you know. There's like some? There's some, especially if you've got a carbon framed one, like a cool guy. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like a business guy. But even like you know, an old school like you know steel bicycle is still like what's it going to weigh? Like twenty pounds, maybe. Yeah. It's just. I would say also to me the solution is clearly we have to uh, prioritize retrofitting old cars and just dropping batteries in them, so we just keep reusing the same yes. frames yeah. because yes. that will allow me to have a an electrified Nissan Micra, but right. with an insane range, and then my dreams will fucking come true. What is it with I, you and the Nissan Micra? Nate? They're just so what, weird, what, what, man. We don't you. have them in America. Nate and I have both fallen in love with the same car with a different, like uh, a different sort of sh um, like body kit on it. Because what I want. And this is now retro because it was made in the 90s. Is a Nissan Figaro, which is a micro oh, with like a yeah. retro body kit on it. I want one of those, but it goes for like 500 miles on one charge. Yeah, the Proclaimers car. <laughs> well, yeah. you know how um, like I, uh... how like uh, you know Cuba has these uh, these medical experts that they send around the world. They should what they should do is they should send around the world all the Cuban mechanics who are really good at keeping like 1950s yeah. Yeah. era like you know, boat size High cars in like shit. perfect yeah. working condition mm. and just like teach everybody how to like, yeah. in, you know, obviously they, they, they probably so don't get any, uh, any, any electric engines the, the, because the of the of, embargo, but you know, the, the monkeys poor curls. And uh, as a consequence, much like Cuba exports doctors to crisis zones around yeah. the world, the United States begins exporting car YouTubers. Right. <laughs> exactly. oh, <no. laughs> if I, if I could get an electric engine in a 90s Porsche, that would be kind of sick nasty. Yeah, if I could get, I'm just laughing at the idea that we find a solution, but it involves really old cars being retrofitted. So, like, Indiana's heyday is restored because everyone has to drive a Studebaker for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, like, driving around in my Austin 7, but it makes zero noise. <laughs> Nate's, Nate's 1996 Dodge Neon is the only thing that can save transportation. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 can, you can drive a personal car. You don't have to use public transport everywhere, but it has to be from one of the first three Need for Speed games. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, well uh... That being said, we have uh, we have a, we have done our update on Lordstown Motors. So mm. I wanted to get a chance to talk about uh, Alex, your piece in the New York Times that you recently had published back in July, mm. in which you uh, brought to the attention of their readers that uh, the government did actually briefly, the U.S. government did briefly begin direct lending to municipalities. There were not a ton of examples of people taking them up on it, but it happened, and then an almost like perfect bipartisan consensus to shut it down immediately happened. Right. Uh, 
so I wanted to give you um, uh, there, there's a uh, there's a couple of quotes here I wanted to read from your piece. I'm just going to read these three paragraphs, and then r- folks can react, and we want to you know get your opinion on uh, what what this actually means because there's this has been like a refrain forever that like interest rates are so low that in some cases they're negative yield. Why are we not using this to finance stuff that we need both for climate change and just unfucking mm. America and Britain and other countries? And the answer is always like, nope, that is not possible. Right. Don't, don't feel not like it. Yeah. yeah no. So uh, I'm going to read these, these paragraphs from the piece. You, 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 you said, Economists at the Fed have given glowing reviews to the central bank's emergency credit line to states and cities called the Municipal Liquidity Facility. Yeah, the MILF. Yeah, the MILF. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely. We're sending MILFs to your area. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Horny MILFs. See, this is why I have to read it to you guys, because I I would not have clocked that, but immediately you picked up on it. That's why you're you're born to podcast. (laughs) Despite its soporific name or its horny name if you want to get into mm. that way it was an unprecedented oh. extension of fuck it was an, uh, do you want moan.web no, if no, you wouldn't no, mind no, alice no, don't do moan.web <laughs> this is not a bonus episode uh, it, <laughs> there we go there it. we go it was an unprecedented <laughs> extension of the fed's lender of last resort powers it inserted the bank into the municipal bond market which states and cities basically used to even out revenue streams and finance some large projects and it was successful in its primary mission the fed's very entry into this market prevented its collapse and kept private lending flowing it kept borrowing levels relatively near the pre-pandemic status quo Still, because the Fed itself didn't offer very generous loan terms compared with private lenders, the the MILF directly lent to Mm -hmm. only two borrowers, the state of Illinois and New York's MTA. Uh, Then the Republicans in Congress and the Trump administration shut it down in December. But in both its modesty and its success, the MILF suggested that something more radical and sustainable was possible. (laughs) MILFs are always doing this. Recently... A growing course of economists, legal scholars, and policy experts has proposed a suite of initiatives that could replenish the public employment ranks, which have yet to recover from the Great Recession and boost the credit lines of states and cities as the emergency, as the climate emergency deepens, all by relying on the inexhaustible monetary powers of the Federal Reserve. So the, the, the big summary is America is uniquely positioned with like the ability to invent money more so than any other civilization yeah. in history. The, You're the, the rich. The federal money printer does, in fact, go. Brrr, yeah, but yet, we we are choosing not to. Yeah, the federal money printer, in fact, goes. You're a big boy for eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> we I are all the federal money printer's needs. pool boy. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, Alex, I, uh, I I welcome I welcome your thoughts on uh, on on the summary there. Yeah. Sure. So, like, this is all like I I like sent this piece to like my. So I didn't really write about this stuff until like basically COVID hit, um, and uh, I've I've since like spent too much time uh, stuck in my home reading Adam Twos and listening to Odd Lots and and uh, stuff like that and obsessing over political economy. And so I guess this is now my beat. But like I don't and I don't know how it works in Britain uh, with like funding for local governments in a in a crisis. It just doesn't. It just happen. doesn't happen. It's shit. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's all volunteer border right. guards. But, like, the way, you know, like, I've been obsessed since I was, like, a teenager with, like, the New York City fiscal crisis and, you know, how that shaped the city and, and and you know, the... the was it like a, was it like a, like, while you were at parties, I was studying New York fiscal policy? Well... <laughs> and now you come to me for us. Well, actually, as I, as I wrote in a follow-up newsletter, is that uh, it's because of my interest in, like, going to, like, DIY shows in Brooklyn and like wondering like why aren't 
you know, like, why can't we all just hang out and go to punk shows all day? Why do they always get, like, destroyed? Why do these DIY venues always get, like, displaced by, like, huge condos or Vice's headquarters? Um, and, like, oh, like, to understand why my... Fr- yeah, the real Right, punks. like, why... To understand why my friends can't, like, just hang out and make an ungodly racket all the time for, you know, and live in an extended adolescence forever. I had to understand like central banking (laughs) and like municipal finance. (laughs) Um, And anyway, so like, I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm really getting ahead of myself here, but like, no, it's, it's good. I want to throw something in there really, really quickly is that the New York city fiscal crisis in the seventies, uh, I feel like it's such is a hugely important point just because it was sort of the end of if you could consider New York City from my perspective of having like uh, any kind of semblance of a welfare state that was really when it started to crumble. And I mean, I'm a graduate of a CUNY college and yeah, like CUNY was free until 1976, I think. And then they're like, nope, tuition, we're doing it now. And it's never gone back. Right. And um, stuff like that, you know, that uh here's this crisis that completely reshaped the city and it's like it's now treated as that's just how nature works right milfs are looking to fund college educations in your right. area so like for, like for the first <laughs> like three it. quarters of the 20th century from like the progressive era up until basically the 75 fiscal crisis like cities that wanted to could fund like really good public services and you know, even like welfare provision and like, you know, not New York wasn't the only place that was doing this, but it was the place that was doing it like the biggest. And, you know, like you had, you know, like you had like CUNY, like like Nate just mentioned, like, you know, was free to anyone who who graduated from high school in in uh, in, in New York City, um, which, you know, like that's a thing that didn't exist anywhere else in the country like a city university that was free and there was also like you know top notch that was like had like nobel laureates on faculty and like they were able to do this because of like the structure of american finance where like basically you know cities were funded by like these local you know, like local kind of city fathers and local banks that had like a really vested interest in uh, in 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 their city's success. Yeah, guy, guys with Dutch names. Guys with Dutch names, you know, or like you know the people who like owned the local banks who you know like they basically like they needed to make sure their local real estate was still valuable. And, yeah, but Bond Blumkin has been put in charge of the mill. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, to, yeah. Like, to- the richest the richest guy in New York until about nineteen seventy is named like Bunny Van der Vonk right. or whatever. <laughs> but then like <laughs> yeah, he's a this kind of un- misunderstood part of this and like I really recommend this book, Fear City, by the historian Kim Phillips Fine, if you if you haven't read it, but it's all about the, the fiscal crisis. But a point that she makes and something that I didn't appreciate until reading this is like the whole way that cities finance themselves really changed in like the nineteen sixties and into the nineteen seventies. And you went from like financing this stuff, you know, like with and like particularly like big investments in like new infrastructure and and like whole new agencies and public functions you know with like uh you know a combination of like local taxes and and bar, you know bond sales to local rich people and you know banks 
loans from like local banks. Yeah, cities kind of like running their own economy. Right, kind of like you know these all these lenders, they they depended on the city succeeding for them to make them you know to 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 you know continue thriving themselves. Then in like the 1960s, like finance globalized. And, you know, financial institutions became these multinationals that had no loyalty to any one, uh, you know, to any one location. Yeah, the, the, the richest guy in New York is now, uh, like, still called Bunny Vondervonk, but he's from the right, Netherlands exactly, rather than, like... Exactly. <laughs> Um, and like, technically he works for a German bank. That's really all like mm-hmm. Russian money. And like, you know, they, they don't feel any kind of like, they don't. And, and also they, they increasingly began to rely on, uh, the bond market as opposed to like local tax receipts, which, you know, you were vulnerable because of white flight and like capital flight and like outsourcing and then like local bond markets. And like, you know, you had this kind of the rise of the the kind of neoliberal financialization of everything in like the the early seventies, which became the way of of disciplining, um, you know, pu- the public sector and what what was deemed out of control spending, which was to say like spending that did not primarily juice corporate profits or spending mm. that could lead to increased lo- you know worker bargaining power by say making higher education free for everyone and it, it, it briefly it briefly came back in a sort of a loophole thing because of the MILF right, right. because the Fed exactly uh, made this made this temporarily possible right. that you could like uh, have this sort of like bond market back again only instead of like one old Dutch guy it's the federal government and it's money printer, right exactly right? and not and like and not even the money printer it's kind of like it's the guarantee it's like the Fed mm. So, like, the Fed, the MILF only directly lent the two borrowers, like, Illinois and the MTA, and because those both have, like, dog shit credit ratings, um, and, you know, it lent to them at, like, pretty onerous terms. But the real effect of the MILF was to, like, prevent everybody else from seeing their, their bond yields blown out. And so, like, everyone else who, like, the state of New York and the city of New York, which is different from the MTA, like they were still able to get, um, you know, bond financing on like as if COVID had never happened. And in fact, like in the middle of COVID, like the New York City did this bond issue and their bonds were oversubscribed. Like they, they could have taken even on on even more debt at a lower rate if they had wanted to. And like that's because like the MLF said, like, look, cities will absolutely have money if they need it. No city is going to like go broke this year because of COVID. Uh, yeah, lender of last resort. Right, shit. exactly. And so they don't even have to make that many loans to like kind of to you know they just have to backstop. They just have to have this standing yeah. guarantee. God, no wonder, no wonder everybody hated it because it's the uh, it's the last sort of like uh, counter to the no such thing as society thing, yeah. right? It's like, oh, the, the the federal government does on some financial level care to prevent you from robbing these cities blind, right? Exactly. Uh, it's it's just like it's more that they're taking an interest than it is to do with the substantive like loan. Yeah, it's basically like they're saying to the bond market, like, look. Please don't like you know do you know es- do not do escape from New York you know 
Do not do escape from, from Los Angeles. Like, there's no need for that. Um, mm. There was no there need is... to do escape from Los Angeles the well, first yes, time, frankly. Uh, <laughs> there is a thing that I half remember, which I'm curious if anyone can like remind me about, which is, was there not an attempt to do this? At the municipal level, from uh, like DSA and some other left organizations in California, because I vaguely remember a like a sort of a people's climate bank thing, and then oh, that's really super popular. I mean, I would say everywhere, and that's not even contained at DSA. Like th- these kind of ideas about like public hmm. banking and kind of like yeah, you know, basically like giving states and cities like a kind of a wasn't josh androsky doing that yeah josh androsky was, was on here in 2018 bank. for the yeah. there was a referendum i think uh yeah. for public banking in la it Just did not time, pass. times yeah. where it becomes uh very difficult for me that i i wipe my memory at the end of every show we were <laughs> oh yeah well you, yeah. you 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 i don't think you'd ever been on the show at that point yet alice i was still in new york yeah. when we got you guys did that episode so i remember this because i was in josh's house in la and he was plying me with huge amounts of weed while enthusiastically <laughs> telling me about this people's right bank. i mean that <laughs> describes basically sort of like how I've gotten into this stuff over the past two and a half years. Like, you know, like this this money stuff, like I had, I had always assumed was very boring, but it does go very well with being stoned all the time. Mm. It's it, But it's like, a, it's a pincer attack, right? Because you have the People's Bank and stuff from like essentially the bottom up, mm. uh, like especially coming through like referenda and yeah. stuff. And then you have this, which is, we are going to convince the federal government that this is a thing that it should impose mm, on the market. Right. Well, it's like, it's not even that much of an imposition. It's like, that's a, that, what's particularly wild about it is that it is like, it was really, it was both unprecedented and like so easy for them to do. I mean, like so much. Yeah, this is, this is how far it's been rolled right. back that like the, the, this incredibly bold thing that terrifies people is like, the least you can do. Right, it all is... <laughs> the, the dial has been turned so far back in one direction right. that, like, nudging it back one increment gives people panic right. attacks. Like, yeah, like they made crazy. two fairly small loans and, like, you know, congressional Republicans were absolutely losing their shit and being like, this needs to be wound down immediately. And, like, you know, I mean, to their credit, there were a lot of, like, Democrats, like, around that time... I mean, and not even, mm. and not even people like Ayanna, you know, Ayanna Presley has been like really big on like using, you know, really radically changing how the, mm. you know, the Fed is sensitive to like, you know, inequality and unemployment. And then like Sherrod Brown, but, but also like a total moderate squish, like Mark Warner, you know, from Virginia, mm. who's like the richest member of the Senate, you know, and has like, is famous for like having these like salons at his house with like deficit scolds. Even he was like, "Hey, like this actually worked pretty well. We shouldn't, we shouldn't crush it." But um, also, maybe he just signed mm. down to it because Sherrod Brown was into it, and Sherrod Brown well, is look, the chair first, of this committee. Yeah. But anyway, that's well. Look, you know, it's 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 a slippery slope. Like, you know, first it's small loans to like make cities like function at a very basic level. Next is Islam. So, like, right? Yeah. Can't yeah. Take <laughs> <that risk. laughs> Next, you're doing Islamic the, the, finance. Is... No interest. <laughs> it's all coming together, baby. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Alex, right. there is one thing I wanted to pull out of your piece that really interested me, which is that like there's a bit in there where you kind of suggest that part of the reason why this was able to happen until people noticed, like the reason why they were able to turn the big uh, society dial back one notch was because it was boring and because the Fed was boring. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so much of what I think happened with the American response to COVID 
you know, like obviously it was awful in all kinds of ways. But Nate, we were kind of talking about this. Like we, like we did really, we did a pretty good job of making the money printer go burr. You know, and I don't think, and I think a big part of that is that of why that happened is that it's so uh, right. It's so boring. Like people, you say budget people's eyes glaze over when you say liquidity people are like what like when you say liquidity you know, you to know mean give people money people are like wait what why do you why is it why is the money wet really, i don't understand that like what, <laughs> what's really really funny <laughs> to me spread. is that uh, there's a group of people who are not immune to this of just like being bored and it's mm. Guys who actually work in finance. Oh, yeah. And it's so funny to me to have this realization for the first time that, like, a great deal of the sort of, like, whimsical bullshit schemes that we talk about on the show, where, like, a finance guy just decides to, like, implode the economy, are because, like, guys who end up working in finance do not like it and want to do something else, but the money is too good to quit. Sometimes one Australian man in an insurance office on the beach (laughs) is just like, yeah, whatever, I'm not going to read the stuff I'm signing. That sounds pretty boring. Just going to sign it. Exactly. All of these guys hate doing actual banking stuff, which means you can kind of slip stuff by them sometimes. Well, you know, but in a perverse way, though, like, uh, those guys get it more than... Mm the you know the like old school like neoclassical economists and the kind mm. of like the pat toomey like it is just about like there's this flow of money and like it's mm. not like you know it, you you kind of like you know if you know you're kind of like in an advantageous position to like siphon off this part of the flow um like mm. I, I you know this is like a really silly thing but like uh uh, have you seen the original like uh, Oliver Stone Wall Street? No, we're more of a JFK okay. podcast. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm sort that. of familiar. I'm, I'm yeah, familiar yeah. with it. I, but... I, uh, the, the SEC would have you believe that all insider trading is illegal. I, yeah, I, I saw it, but like for some reason, I remember the sequel a lot more than one of Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> I, I which, like it's uh. just. A, which is just like an objectively very bad film, but it has some very funny right. moments in it. I mean, the the original, the original Wall Street is like actually like a. It's weird. It's sort of a strange thing. Like you know, if if you're more of a JFK fan, to watch it yeah. and it's like actually like a pretty cogent movie. Like it 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 makes sense. It's like mm. tightly made. There aren't like it doesn't have like three different kinds of film stock. There's no like imagined <laughs> orgy. It's just like a really good like tightly made like thriller for grown-ups but anyway at some point like the michael douglas character says like nobody it's not like you own this stuff you kind of position yourself well in the Mm. flow of money and like most of the i mean like for the past year and a half that i've been kind of like reporting on this stuff like a lot of the people who live in and work in wall street like they don't subscribe anymore to the like milton friedman Mm you know, Austrian stuff. They're all Keynesians because they know it's like, this is this, you know, all these things are just policy levers and I can, you know, that, that mm. creates opportunities for me if you get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that that does make sense. I mean, as as Gordon Gecko says, greed is good and uh, eating pussy is better. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he, well, as the- he found out, there can be too much of a good yeah. thing. They can. They really can. But I mean, that's a true way for a king to go out, you know? Well, he beat it. The real king shit. 
Yeah, that's right. Because that that is that is an act of faith. Like you mm. eat pussy so much that you know you're likely to get throat cancer from it, but you have faith that the gods of pussy eating will smile upon you <laughs> and reward you for your service. Well, so one of the points that you made, uh, Alex, was that this was a quote from Claudia Sam from the uh, the Jane Institute. This is what you close out the piece with, which is basically that um, she says, "Toomey, Pat, Senator Pat Toomey, and others get exercised because the Fed is competent." They'd get it done, basically. It's not like, oh, the government can't handle money kind of shit. It's like these the neoclassical economists and the the conservatives in this regard don't want people, from what I can read of this, your opinion, would not, would prefer people did not realize that there was, in fact, an alternative. Yeah. And, 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 and that this is a demonstration, a small demonstration, but a sort of like a test case of, okay, well, if you made this actually, if the, if the terms were better, uh, if it was, if it could if you didn't need the banks at all, then this was a thing that could 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 solve this problem of how are we going to pay for it? And, you know, I think about this too. Sometimes there's a part of me that's just like, because of the really insanely crippling debt that the MTA is saddled with that's causing mm-hmm. them to pay just enormous amounts of interest on d- really, really old debt that cripples their operating budget. It's like, if the government wanted to, they could just eliminate that debt tomorrow and put them on, like ha- have it be completely change their operating budget because they just wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. But they don't because it's just sort of like, well, you know, manage the finances like households kind of shit. It's like, yes, but this is mm. the biggest city in America and its economy depends on this thing functioning. Do you ever think it's just really funny how a term as serious sounding as neoclassical economics just refers to people who refuse to understand how the economy works? Yes. <laughs> who are just like sticking their fingers in their ears and going, no, no, it doesn't. No. That's it not basically the same as neo- in those fucking rocks and you can <laughs> coax it out. Yeah. Basically the same as neoclassical architecture. So <laughs> maybe just as a yeah, term. Yeah, embrace like, what's wrong tradition. With columns? You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's not, embrace, that's not, this embrace isn't an not understanding how shit works. Yeah. Mm. So, so the the thing I wanted to, to to touch on before we move on to our next segment was uh, you on your on your ghost page, um, the alternatives, a Substack that doesn't have a bunch of turfs on it. Uh, you you, you <laughs> yet. mentioned in, in yet exactly. You mentioned that uh, one of the crises that American governance has faced since the Great Recession is the serious reduction of uh, the workforce, like the federal, the state, the municipal workforce. And um, you, you basically, you described that this also continued under COVID. Mm. Uh, I'm going to read this paragraph as a segment from it that you say, recessions devastate local public budgets and lead to brutal cuts to, to the kind of basic services that keep the social fabric from fraying. States can't avoid immediate cost cutting whenever revenues shrink, thanks to local balance budgets, amendments, and restrictions <laughs> on... Ba- we don't have that in Britain. <laughs> yeah, fuck. Well, and, cool, and, good job that's just you guys over there. <laughs> uh, and, and restrictions on borrowing that could make up for temporary shortfalls. The inability of localities to keep spending through recessions makes these recessions worse. The number of public employees also fell by 1.5 million from February to May 2020, and as of June 2021, it remained a million down from its pre-pandemic peak. This that accounts for approximately one out of seven outstanding COVID-related job losses. So, in your eyes, from what I understand, this is a potential solution to rebuild that workforce to make things not be shit anymore. Though, understand that in Britain since 2011, we've been also doing just just slashing shit nonstop, and um, it it has it as you might imagine has led to a particular kind of local psychosis when people who never really had problems with the services they depend on are suddenly like, wait, I can't get my trash picked up every week like they used to and things like that. Once again, it's just like this hardcore austerity economics. And so you're saying that uh, if we can kind of 
force just like just crack the surface on this shit and get people to understand like there's literally no fiscal case why this has to happen it could it could change the whole picture yeah totally i mean i i'm not exactly my understanding was that in britain like the cuts to and you know obviously like i you should correct me if i'm wrong was that like there was this decision at the very top like mm-hmm. in like you know 2011 2010, 2010 you know we got to do austerity from the very top uh and th- like that that happens certainly in america but like what i think i was getting at is like these american states and cities have these legal like these mm. these you know there's like state constitutional amendments there's laws that kind of yeah. automatically trigger it even if you know like you even if like say you had like an ostensibly left left-leaning governor we, or like we sort of have that too like they brought in some laws that basically govern how local authorities are allowed to like manage their budgets and stuff so like local authorities aren't allowed to do things like if they've got some money build public housing with it like they're just not allowed to right. do that like they're not allowed to do anything that doesn't involve and a they, private company. They, they fundamentally used to be able to, but they can't anymore. They, yeah. I mean, like, are are like the local authorities like are they funded by like local property taxes and local income? Tax? No, that's the wildest thing here. They are funded by a flat sum amount tax that every tenant or resident has to pay. Landlords don't pay property tax in this country, but their tenants basically pay a fee for local services. So there's very few exceptions to it. Um, where I live, we pay our rent and we pay our utilities and we have to pay 120 pounds per month uh, to our, our local council. Um, yeah. But like, it doesn't matter what your income is. Basically, there's almost you no exceptions to, to it. You have to subsidize your council's alpaca. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 and since the 80s, they've made it much more restrictive. That was a thing that Thatcher did to cut the funding to local councils, but then also cut their ability to spend mm. or to raise money. And so you're locked in this cycle where- yeah, They're not allowed to borrow money at all. Yeah, like they're not. Oftentimes, they're not allowed to build uh, public housing on land they own. Uh, they're not allowed mm. to sell assets to then build public housing. Like, if I'm not mistaken, if they generate profits, it has to go to a national general fund. It can't go to the local council. Like, there's so many restrictions to basically make governance, local governance, intentionally underfunded here, so they can keep privatizing it. Um, yeah. and, and my impression is that, but, but we don't have, like, we don't have the sort of madhouse of every state has its own thing, but yeah, being from the Midwest, the balanced budget amendments, I know that's a huge deal. And it's like, it basically hamstrings, legally hamstrings. Like if you try to do something, it doesn't matter. It's going to get defeated yeah. it's in the like, courts you just because gotta, of these amendments. It, it forces you to like lean into the punch of a recession, you know, like mm. you have to mm. do what every, like, you know, anyone who's like read the Wikipedia page on Keynesianism would tell you, don't do that. We have all these laws that force you to like in a recession to slash public employment. So that just deepens the recession because mm. those are all people who were spending money and keeping businesses alive and they mm. have to cut back. Um, and then, you know, like you could, I mean, the, and this goes back to the New York City fiscal crisis, like pre. 1970s you know states kind of were able to to Mm. borrow to make up for shortfalls more aggressively and i mean this was a like a problem you know like you can certainly abuse this uh and Mm. and like even i would admit that like new york did uh but like you know the the kind of 
there's a there's an attitude that like oh these balanced budget amendments and these these restrictions on on like borrowing even mm. during a sort of like exogenous shock like covid like um mm. you know they're necessary they're it, it, it's the the harsh medicine that that these localities have to take and like this must be because you know if if they fall short you know well there's there's no help coming for them uh even though things yeah, like the MLF show thing. like you don't even act, like the federal reserve the federal government doesn't even actually have to spend their own money to help them out. Like they can kind of signal to private markets to to invest in bonds. Yeah, the the, the government, the Feds just go, "Hey, knock it right. off." Right. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. And it go, works. Hey. Kind yeah. of. It's like, "Hey, the hey invisible throw, hand throw, my, throw, throw my little buddy something. Come on." Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing that we're kind of like running basically like every western country into the ground over like a slavish devotion to an analogy that it turns out isn't an analogy that works right. like basically like yeah well a governmental budget is just like a household budget and we've discovered that that's basically the same as saying well eating food is just like eating pussy <laughs> you should eat food the same way you eat pussy you should like lick it about a hundred yeah, times several times like, a day yeah that's right you should just like you should just lick the outside of your food sensually and never take a bite and that's and that's you know you can't argue with it they both use the word eating so that's how you should do well, it and this is actually this is another hobby horse of mine that i'm I'm getting on i i, I just wrote a, a column for business insider about um this guy pete peterson uh do you know who he is great name yeah i, I, I recognize the name yeah it's shout been a out while. to that guy right off right. the top for a great name <laughs> so he's uh he died in 2018 he was one of the co-founders of the like uh of the private equity giant uh blackstone um not right. blackrock blackstone uh or blackwater right, or blackwater all of these all of these <laughs> yeah. have such like enticing names I yeah think. exactly yeah look into the blackstone right yeah the big exactly. we've talked about nothing them before, about the, company the blackstone the um uh yeah. circling blackstone's offices anyway so as part of my finance pilgrimage so he was like a he was like a you know, he was in the Nixon administration as the Commerce Secretary and was like this, like, he was oh. like, he and, he and, like, Kissinger were like wingmen in Georgetown in, you know, like the 70s. Like, <laughs> like they were the only two people. Nightmare blunt rotation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he, like, used his government connections to, like, get into private equity and and he became a billionaire oh, that's crazy and then so the way that he fulfilled um he did the like warren buffett giving pledge and the way that he fulfilled mm. the giving pledge is by giving his personal fortune to his personal foundation which advocates for cutting government spending <laughs> um awesome yeah. <laughs> awesome cool guy shit and so like he's like he bankrolls or his estate rather bankrolls all these think tanks like from beyond the yes, grave exactly um uh, where his now that right there is the invisible right hand. it's the invisible skeletal <laughs> death grip around our yeah, the throats. invisible stranger jacking off the economy while right. it feels like someone else is doing it yeah. so he's like the one like he he like you know like there's a paper trail like he's the one who like bankrolled all these mm. these nonprofits that like get quoted as if they're like totally nonpartisan in like newspaper articles that are like you know, they kind of spread these cliches like the household metaphor. So, like, it's very like this thing isn't just like common sense that comes out of nowhere. It's like it's a political project spread by like one dead rich guy, um, you know, and it serves very clear ends. Mm. But but also like it doesn't even make sense, you know, like from from like on its own terms, like, you know, how many 
how many households are there that can buy a car without taking on debt or buy a house without taking on debt mm. or like you yeah. know uh like and every you know rich person knows that like the way you start a business is with someone else's money <laughs> you know like it no one ever yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't ever self finance anything like that's like that's that's for a you know Tight, tightening There's your like tightening your belt is for that. is for poor people, you know, kind of like paying taxes. Everyone everyone needs debt to do anything or or credit, yeah, you know, absolutely. if you don't want to use the dirty word debt. Everyone needs like help. Uh everyone generally like the way people get rich is by getting more generous terms of credit, not by like, you know, abstemious self-denial and like you know, hiding cash <laughs> under a mattress, well, being being extremely smart, oh, right? And yeah, having a lot of like leadership skills, right. like that See, doesn't I, work. Yeah, I w- no, I was told that you could get like really rich and successful by running a mom and pop store with good Christian values, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and having your children work for free. Well, right. That's that's well, that's the important part. Yes. The problem is, is that everybody who's ever done that, who almost got rich, but then they were forced to bake the gay cake. And so the psychic trauma <laughs> they took on stopped them from being able to become rich. So it happens every single time. Uh, All I started with was some chutzpah and like some good business acumen and $400 million that I got from my father, which I assume is pretty normal. <laughs> right. So this is, I, I hope that little things like this force people to realize that not only can it be different, but here's an instance of it actually being different uh, in which we don't have to suffer this just idiotic penury for no reason. We don't have to be like, nope, the best that government can, governance can be and that, that uh, social services or any kind of societal function can be is shit that annoys you until you are rich enough to buy your way out of it. Right. Uh, I would like to hope that will change. However, a bit of a segue because there is a counterpoint. There's a particularly British counterpoint, if you will, to all of this. Oh, no. To the implications (laughs) of, yeah, of getting rid of austerity and monetarism and all of this weird, yeah, the the, the terrible metaphor of of the family budget or using using the power of the the central bank or the Federal Reserve to fight climate change. There's an, an even more British take, which is, what if we just give up? (laughs) <laughs> because yeah. I have found an article from the New Statesman by a philosopher at Oxford named Roger Crisp called, <sighs> and I'm not joking. Roger Crisp. What a Crisp fucking Roger. Roger. Is he some like, disgusting Roger. British flavor, like, you know, like vinegar and like, you know, yeah, I, 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 love to go, I love to go to the British corner store and, and eat some like jambly wombles and a Roger Crisp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Right. I yes. like to Roger some crisps. So I was going to say, exactly. It's, it's, it's the fried potato slice that smells like sex. Uh, the article is entitled... <laughs> Would extinction be so bad? Jeez. And it says, oh, I'm not wow, joking. I love black pilled columnists. Right. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised that, this the, news, kind of base. that, that the New Statesman, the kind of like ostensibly left wing magazine of this country, has kind of just taken the position of what if we all just gave up? Which, yeah, like, which, which is kind of like the same position that the British Labour Party has taken. Yes. So. Mm. There's no alternative to destroying <laughs> Geronimo the yeah, Alpaca and everyone else. There's like, no it alternative is, it is, to just it is dying. Worth destro- it is worth destroying the Earth if every alpaca yeah. is destroyed in the process. You know, one thing That's I, right. I, I those, don't... Those smug woolen cunts. I, I mean, one thing I really 
that really threw me for a loop about this is like, so I did like a, like very silly, like study abroad program in London when I was in college. And like, I spent one day like, um, you're a master of jumbly wumbles. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, my like girlfriend at the time, now wife, like came to visit me. She had a family friend who was a, then a, uh, like a professor at Oxford. And like, we, we took a day trip, up mm-hmm. to Oxford and like, you know, got to be shown into all like the secret faculty lounges that like, you know, tourists can't go into and like the eyes wide shot this is, rooms. This is where you get sucked off. Right. By exactly. Your students. You know, this is where like I just assume <laughs> Only like, the male ones, however. Right. <laughs> I, I just saw like Brideshead Revisited just taking place all everywhere. Um yeah. but and Pride's Dome revisited. What thing that really struck me, like, and I, I will, you know, like, I, I know, like, this, this podcast is in large part about shitting on Britain, and, and rightfully so, but, like, I was, you know, like, I still have some, like, part of myself that's a bit of an Anglophile, and, like, I know Oxbridge is, you know, the reason for some of the greatest atrocities of the 20th century, or, or in beyond. Well, Alex, I mean, no one on this podcast knows anything about Oxbridge. Right. We absolutely <laughs> would never advocate that it was good or fun in any way. Some people say this. Yeah, some people say it's actually Doxbridge. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would thank you to use the correct term. That's right. This is- the honourable gentleman will please refer to Doxbridge by its full title. I mean, this is all to say, like, mm. you know, if you're in at Oxford. If you're like, you know, if you have one of those like, you know, uh, incredible offices, you know, on like one of the old quads, like I would be like super strongly motivated to not give up on that. Like it's, you know, like Mm, if you've got it, like it's really nice. I briefly dated a girl who was a Marxist academic who had a fellowship at All Souls, which is like the really fancy, like, you have to be a genius college at Oxford. Like, it's like only post-grad and you have to like sit like, I'm doing scare quotes, but you can't see this, the hardest exam in the world to get this (laughs) fellowship. And she got it. But basically, they just throw infinite money at you. You just get like, you get your own fucking office in the college and they just give you, and so like, and they would randomly get grants to do certain things. Like, so she's like, yeah, the college just gave me two grand to buy new computers so i'm just gonna do that even though i really don't need new computers she had like three different like fucking computers for like different parts of her life yeah, i mean, like, I mean if, i'm like if, yeah, if, I were, if i were in on that racket i would really want to not go extinct it's, it's pretty yeah. nice i would I mean, spend so much money on gamer chairs <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> so that's the thing is that the, the the surest cure for anglophilia is to live here and not be in one of mm. those sweet ass jobs right. because then you're like wait this this is just this is just people glassing each other in the face and a lot of vape shops. Um, yeah. I'm gonna read this piece because I know that we <laughs> spending all your old soul, spending all your old souls money on a Noscan canister. <laughs> yeah, I spend it all on like spice. Yeah, that is actually a specific uh, like ring fenced fund you do get from all souls is the Nos money. So, uh, Alex, Alex, this is a particularly yeah. British thing that you may, you may not be up on, but people here love huffing nitrous oxide in balloons yeah, or just out of canisters. So everywhere you go in London, especially in uh, areas where there's more young people congregating, you'll just areas find these like... Just happens to have an office. Yeah, there's just like these fucking <laughs> piles of, of, of discarded empty NOS canisters. I'm constantly having to avoid them on my bike wow. to not blow out my tire. Like, they're everywhere. But we've got fentanyl here, okay? So, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. So, yeah. Roger Crisp says... 
Get the MacArthur this Genius is like, Grant we and have spend gun it on crime fentanyl. and fentanyl, and you've got Nas cans and knives. Knives. I'm Knife sorry. Crime. And pedophilia. Yeah, yeah. Guys, That's and, nothing, and, yeah. And, and guys who drive around in Mercedes from 6, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. selling cocaine to anyone who texts them. Yeah, it's a <laughs> yeah, different yeah. country. Um, on call, active till 6 a.m. <laughs> uh, in recent decades, it has often been said that we are living in the quotes, hinge of history, unquote, an unprecedented period during <laughs> we which- We live in a hinge. <laughs> a yeah. catastrophic event Yo. such as rapid climate change, nuclear war, or the release of a synthesized pathogen may bring an end to human mm. and perhaps all sentient life on the planet. Most people think such an extinction would be bad. In fact, one of the worst <laughs> things that could happen is plausible. <laughs> Actually, it's good. The process yeah. leading to various forms of extinction and extinction itself would be bad for many of us, given that our lives are overall good for us and that all else being equal, the longer mm. they are, the better. But it's also plausible that extinction would be good for some individuals, those in the final stages of an agonizing terminal illness, for example, what? whose pain what? can no longer <laughs> be controlled by drugs. Why does this person sound like a character in a Socratic dialogue no, who's about to be owned? It's, 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 like, it's, it, I, I gotta keep going. This means one key factor in judging the overall value of non-extinction will involve mm. weighing these disparate interests against each other. How might we do okay. that? Let's focus on sudden extinction. Imagine that some huge <laughs> asteroid is heading to Earth, which if it hits, will remove any possibility of life on Earth. If you have the power to deflect it, should you do so from a moral point of view? If extinction mm. would be bad for all sentient beings, both now and in the future, the answer, yes, seems hard to argue with. But as we just saw, that's not the case. Guy who's only seen the film Armageddon. I'm getting serious <laughs> Armageddon vibes. <laughs> yeah, see, see, yeah, see, the problem is that he didn't see yeah. Deep Impact. And I yeah. think you need to kind of see both. Yeah. To kind of like get the pros and cons of what happens if an asteroid destroys the Earth. That is true. Consider the huge amount of suffering that continuing existence will bring with it, not only for humans and perhaps even for, quote, post-humans, unquote, oh, but Christ. also sentient- If you meet the Buddha on the road, ask him to do a column in the fucking sorry, New Statesman. Sorry, is, is, fucking, is Lucretius right. writing for the, for the New Statesman <laughs> now? Has Epicureanism made its way into the pages of the New Statesman? Are we trying to achieve a state of ataraxia by, <laughs> so, by dying? It, it, gets, it gets worse. But also for sentient non-humans who vastly outnumber us and would certainly would continue to do so. As far as humans alone are concerned, Hillary Greaves and Will McCaskill at the University of Oxford's Global Priorities Institute estimate there could be one quadrillion people to come an estimate they describe as conservative these Question, numbers how much this- money does the global priorities institute take from the cia because based <laughs> on its name i'm gonna guess a lot <laughs> that is a deeply cia ass name these numbers and the scale of suffering to be put into the balance alongside the good elements in individuals' lives are difficult to fathom and so large that it's not obvious that you should deflect the asteroid. This is, this is fuck. your fucking brain on utilitarianism. Nate, 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 this is exactly like a slightly more academicized version of that graph you drew once to take the piss out of someone on Twitter, which was the degree, the graph that said degree of when you nut versus <laughs> when she stops sucking. <laughs> you drew a dotted line above the intersection and wrote the unknowable zone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is true. I was doing that to make yeah. fun of James Cleverly, who had drawn some mm. bizarre, completely inscrutable Iron- nominative determination. Yeah, uh, chart about Brexit or something prior to Brexit mm. happening. Um, so basically he says, you sh- these numbers and the scale of suffering to be put into the balance alongside the good elements in individuals' lives are difficult to fathom and so large that it's not obvious that you should deflect the asteroid. In fact, there mm. seems to be some reason to think you shouldn't. 
I would simply deflect the asteroid and then live off of the fact that I was the person to deflect the asteroid for the rest of my life. Alice actually could deflect the asteroid, and we know exactly how. That's right. <laughs> That's right. We're going to need one bottle of Glenn's vodka. Yeah. And the tallest woman you know. <laughs> yeah, we're just... <laughs> we're just going to need some hijabi women and some haram meats <laughs> and we can save mankind a little, a little charcuterie plate yeah mm. how, how can we make comparisons like these c.i lewis a leading harvard philosopher in the mid-20th century offered an intriguing thought experiment to judge mm. the value of some outcome you have to imagine yourself going through the relevant experiences usually when we think about extinction because we are not in great pain we focus on the good things we'll miss but if god were to offer you the choice of living through all the painful and pleasurable experiences that will ever occur okay, without I've extinction i've changed my mind can i direct the asteroid at this guy specifically <laughs> yeah it's going to have to be your most finessed nut yet, Alice. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do like a pool. Blow. Yeah, like a pool cue. I want it to like, yeah. I want to skim this guy off the face of the earth and nobody mm. else. Yeah. Basically, if God were to offer you the choice of living through all the painful and pleasurable experiences that will ever occur without extinction, would you jump at the opportunity? I have to say I wouldn't. Uh... There are, of course, many other ways of measuring value, more technical and precise than Lewis's thought experiment. Most of them assume that values can be compared against one another on a continuous scale. Imagine that you want the pleasure of being admired on the beach for your impressive tattoo, but getting it will hurt. So you balance the pleasure <laughs> against the pain and decide to go ahead only if the first outweighs the second. Yeah, that is why I have a tramp stamp that says jumpers hit it on my lower back. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is such a little I, I have man. I have a little line tattoo of the trolley problem on my bicep you know when people <laughs> when people talk about incels and stuff like this is mm. really this is really the damage that is done to society when a guy doesn't get domed off for this long <laughs> is that he writes an article like this and we have to read it but, but perhaps there are discontinuities in value. John Stuart Mill, for example, used to claim that some pleasures, such as enjoying some great work of art, are, quote, higher, unquote, than others, in the sense that no amount of lower pleasure, such as that of eating peanuts, could equal the higher pleasure in overall value. <laughs> but, but, Damn, does that matter? <laughs> just like, a, just like yeah. a fucking Adam Carolla tweet, like, men today would rather eat peanuts than enjoy some great work of art. <laughs> That's right. $20 can buy many peanuts. <laughs> Human experience may be very bad, but it also helps a lot of people get to work on time. So it's yeah. impossible to say here's, whether here's, or not. Yeah. John Stuart Drill. <laughs> Wait, here's an idea. Better guy, John Stuart Milf. Oh, like, the yeah. highest pleasure is admiring a Milf. <laughs> yeah. Likewise, some planes might seem discontinuous in value with others. Imagine that the, the devil offers you the choice between... Oh, stop <laughs> asking me to, to imagine yeah. things. Yeah. Philosophy was a mistake. This guy's fucking f whapping through different philosophies. He's, now, he's gone from, like, Epicurus, now he's on, like, Descartes. This guy, this guy has, this guy, like, has Poster's brain yeah. in the sense of, like, he will kind of, he will start like a thought experiment in a fairly kind of conventional way and then just like out of nowhere he'll be like imagine if the devil showed up and offered you a deal yeah <laughs> would join you, me yeah. would you take it or would you <laughs> I, I think like uh, i think the something about like the cascading weirder and weirder thought experiments somehow makes you forget that the original thought experiment makes no sense at all like you know like okay yeah. we're facing climate change but what if there was a an enormous asteroid that was going to destroy all life on Earth in an instant coming at us. 
Like we might as well <laughs> give up on climate change. And like this just those things it's it's like it's like saying to you know someone like you've been diagnosed with terminal with, with potentially terminable terminal but treatable mm. cancer. But what if someone had a gun to your head? <laughs> like like it's like wait, that's not the same thing. He's like he's basically the argument that he's putting forward is kind of an Epicurean one, whether he realizes it or not. Which is like, well, if like the rest of your life from here on out is basically going to be not very good, you may as well die because that's not you. You can't have a bad time when you're dead. However, when he's making this argument in light of climate change, it's like no, climate change if it does kill us is going to kill us all very slowly and painfully. So is this guy suggesting that we have some kind of like a Brian Jonestown style fucking right. uh, like <laughs> suicide pact? And like the more you give up, Brian the more Jones painful it gets. Sorry. You know, like it's it. Yeah, the Brian Jonestown massacre. <laughs> We're gonna get that band to kill everyone. <laughs> They're gonna get us and Geronimo the alpaca, <laughs> and then they can kill themselves. Jonestown named after yeah. the Brian Jonestown <laughs> That's massacre. That's right. Before turning, before turning the pop rock on themselves. <laughs> but I, I gotta keep going with this because it's really incredible. Mm. Imagine that the devil offers you a choice between a year of the most appalling agony imaginable. Okay, I take it. Yes, yep. yes, thank you. Yes. Next question. In some period with a with a barely perceptible headache, some would take the second option, however long the headache lasted, perhaps even if it were to last for eternity. Since we are considering whether extinction might be better than continuing to exist, the question arises whether some pains would be so great that they outweigh any number of pleasures or other goods. To avoid the worries that arise from imagining large numbers, consider just one kind of pain, undoubtedly the worst that any sentient being could experience, that of torture by electric shock. One That's recent, pretty cool, actually. One recent victim of such torture- You know, chill. us in the yeah. sounding community, we really don't appreciate this being- <laughs> I've, I've been saying this for years. We got any sounding heads out there? I'm sure we do. <laughs> Depends which head. <laughs> hey. One recent victim of such torture described it as like they're breaking every bone of every joint in your body at the same time. Along with sheer physical agony of such torture go many emotional horrors, dread, terror, panic, humiliation, degradation, this despair. Is, this is a thing, right? Like, once you spend too long in academia, for some reason, it happens to lawyers too, you just start envisioning torturing people in some sort of platonic <laughs> way. Like, I cannot, I've lost count of the number of law professors who have just been like, well, okay, but just as a thought experiment. If we were to start putting like needles under people's fingernails, and you're just like, you, you realize you are the only person who is saying. Well, I mean, this, also right? there's just the extent to which like the weird juxtaposition of this being an academic philosopher from Oxford writing in the New Statesman, mm. you know, or like you said, a sort of center left magazine, not notionally center left magazine in the UK, and it's basically mm. like opening up Sky Mall, and it's got an offer that you can challenge the devil to a fiddling contest. <laughs> like it makes no fucking sense. Um, mm. So I'm just going to continue to get through this. Now consider some relatively short period of such torture, an hour, say, and return to C.I. Lewis's thought experiment. Imagine a choice be between, on one hand, the non-existence of immediate extinction, and on the other, an hour of electric shock torture followed by some period of pleasure and other goods. Which would you choose? <laughs> well, but what, if, what if I could combine the the hour of electric shock, shock torture and the period of pleasure? Well, also, like what kills me about is like one there, there, easy payment. There are undeniably people who have been tortured by electric shock torture who are alive now like maybe ask them like hey would it be better if like we just killed everyone <laughs> would you prefer yeah. to have been hit by a meteorite 
Would you would, would you have preferred Sephiroth <laughs> yeah. one in Final I, Fantasy seven? I, I am getting two thousand pounds a day from All Souls College to go around asking victims of torture whether they would rather have been hit by a fucking asteroid. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is such a normal country. ISIS's new technique of just firing asteroids at captured soldiers. It's very, I feel like it, I feel like it's very much the extension of that like we live in society meme or like the whole um, that that meme where it's like um uh like uh we should improve society somewhat and he's oh, yeah. the guy who's just like um maybe instead of improving society somewhat we should just like get hit by an wait, asteroid yeah wait to die <laughs> yeah. by getting hit by an but asteroid like, my 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 analogy to this is like and my cop out for this is your thought experiment is stupid because none of us could control any situation like this like okay fine we're we're doing the trolley problem I'm I'm mm. not the guy with the lever. I'm the guy tied to the trolley tracks, as is yeah. everyone else. And also, like yeah. the idea of the well, there's operating on this in- incredibly, you know, extended hypothetical that it's like, well, uh, an asteroid is on a direct course for Earth, but we also have a black mage who could cast reflect. Should he do that? Like all of this is just it. It, it, it just seems like a like a really really done up parody of this kind of thought experiment. But mm. what I'm going to do is I want to get through that. There's five more paragraphs. Uh, I feel oh, as though <laughs> we can we can we we can expand our our brain palaces mm. in a brief span of time. Please, I would love to. Not brackets. I hope having been tortured, you might want to ask one of its victims just how bad it is. Unfortunately, it is common for such victims to say it is impossible to convey the badness. Jacobo Timmerman, for example, was tortured in Argentina and said, in the long months of confinement, I often thought about how to transmit the pain that a tortured person undergoes. And I always concluded that it was impossible. It's a pain without points of reference, relevatory symbols, or clues to serve as indicators. Another problem. Then why would you write the fucking article then? Yeah. I guess I guess the that only- two hundred pound fucking freelancer fee. He needed more <laughs> than two thousand dollars a day from All Souls College to go around buying every computer in Oxford. The only people I have ever met who could understand my pain were horny trans women on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I do not know why. <laughs> Another problem is that it appears to be hard to remember the true nature of agony. Harriet Martineau, who suffered terribly through her life from a uterine tumor, once said during a period of remission, where are these pains now? Not only gone, but annihilated. They're destroyed so utterly that even memory can lay no hold upon them. Perhaps one reason we think extinction would be bad is that we have failed to recognize just how awful extreme agony is. Nevertheless, we have enough evidence and imaginative capacity to say that it's not unreasonable to see the pain of an hour of torture as something that can never be counterbalanced by any amount of positive value. And if this view is correct, then it suggests the best outcome would be for the immediate extinction that follows from allowing an asteroid to hit our planet. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the asteroid on myself and everybody else because torture exists. If this view is correct, it suggests that you're a fucking nerd. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Because it's more like, or we could stop people doing torture. That there's a way, like you know, we could actually. No, right. no, 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 no. It's happened before, and thus because it's happened, uh, Genova has to fucking destroy this entire planet. Like, that's just the way it's going to work. Um, the planet's dying, Cloud. Exactly, exactly. You have to let Midgar collapse on you because somewhere, somehow, someone <laughs> stubbed their fucking toe, and you know what? That did hurt really intensely for a brief instant. Um, yeah. last two paragraphs. Of course, allowing an asteroid to hit Earth would probably be bad for you. I love, I love England. I fucking <laughs> love England. You get to write this in a major magazine. 
Allowing it an asteroid would be bad for uh, your portfolio of bite-elect properties. <laughs> that can be said, and in that respect, yep. that is worse than an hour of torture. As the asteroid closes in, the Daily Mail is worrying about house prices. Yeah. <laughs> of course, allowing an asteroid to hit the Earth would probably be bad for you and those close to you. But given what's at mm. stake, it may well be that you should pay these costs to prevent all the suffering. As the philosopher Bernard Williams once said, if for a moment we got anything like an adequate idea of the suffering in the world and we really guided our actions by it, then surely we would annihilate the planet if we could. Do, do, do you know mm. what's what's a Speaking better- with a belt around his neck and an orange <laughs> in his mouth, this man said. <laughs> do you know what a better uh, philosophical discussion and thought experiment is than this? What? It's the tweet that says, it is uh, like it is part of catechism, it is Catholic belief that when Christ saw- uh, when Christ was like decided to sacrifice his life in Gethsemane, he saw every human sin, which meant that he saw a guy blasting rope to anime and still decided <laughs> no, to sacrifice Alice, his life. You're for remembering him. it wrong. That's a sacrament. He said blasting rope. He said blasting rope to <laughs> Waluigi porn. <laughs> I remember that tweet. That's, that's, not, that's, a, that's yeah. a better philosophical inquiry I, than this is. I'm not. I'm mm. not Christian, but I absolutely remember that tweet. I was like, all right. All right, I get down with the spirit of that. I'm not Christian, but I absolutely believe that Wallace Jesus was not the Messiah. According to the, yeah. Jew, to the Jews, he did nevertheless see a guy blasting rope to Waluigi born. And for that reason, he was a very good Jew, but not the Messiah. The question of whether extinction would be good or bad overall is obviously very important, especially in the face of potential catastrophic events at the hinge of history. But this question is also very difficult to answer. Ultimately, I'm not claiming that an extinction would be good, only that since it might be, we should devote a lot more attention to thinking about the value of extinction than we have to date. The oh, end. Shut the fuck up. Why? Because we might decide to extinct ourselves. Like, what, what would be the possible, like, productive outcome of thinking about that? Like, even if he's right, like, what is he... I, what I can't understand is what the fuck is his suggestion? We, th we think about it more. There's something about the way that, he's, that he sets this up, that, like, the possibility of, of some unknown suffering in the future means that we should never go on. It just suggests he's like never suffered. Like he's just like the idea mm. is just mm. it's, you know, he's led and, you know, I don't know the guy, but like he's lived. It seems like the kind of thing you can only suggest after having lived like the cosseted life of an Oxford Don mm. born during mm. like the sweet spot of of history for like why the fuck isn't there like immeasurable joy right, being taken yeah. into consideration like, here either? Like, like there's like a lot They're of like really good jokes torture. on Twitter and like, you know, if an asteroid hits <laughs> yeah, the, the guy blasting yeah, rope like, to like I'm, Waluigi like, form. Yeah. I don't want to live in a world where I don't see the blasting rope to Wal Waluigi. Is, I mean, is, I rather I do want to live in the world where I do see that tweet. <laughs> and I want to think about yeah. that tweet and visualize it in my mind. That's the joy this of being alive. This guy wrote this article Immediately after, uh, at, at his like eyes wide shut dinner in an Oxford college, the uh, the, the claret had run out, and then he noticed that the, the twink whose thigh he was stroking had left. Right, <laughs> and he was like, "What is the point?" I I was not expecting such a like forceful statement in defense of like humanity and our right to exist from the podcast that I do with my friends. But mm. well, yes. I, well, the point I would make too is that I mean, and you can connect it to a larger point that in 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 this the sort of face of this complete conservative hegemony in this country and the sort of like lol nothing matters that has happened with just I mean this is my armchair sort of analysis mm. here of 
post COVID and post the 2019 election and post Brexit and all this stuff that basically like, oh yeah, corruption's legal. Nothing matters. Do whatever the fuck you want. Like it's, it's the law of the jungle. Um, there's this extent to which it's been very weird to watch people try to like adopt a kind of very calming, pleasant tone to sell you on being completely blackpilled. And it's mm. like, this reads like the council has written you a letter saying, we're going to burn your house down with you in it. Mm. And it's just, yeah. <laughs> Keir Starmer reading this entire column to an alpaca. <laughs> Perhaps you well, might when consider. You consider <laughs> I welcome good things, but I would also encourage the government to go further by killing me. <laughs> because bad things also happen and that is something which on the left we must take into account that good things are good but bad things are also bad and sometimes bad things are badder than good things are good well uh on that note it, it falls only mm. to me to say alex thank you so much for making time to be on the show today please plug your ghost the non-turf alternative to Substack, <laughs> uh mm. and uh all the other content yeah sure so um i uh i'm just a guy who posts um i would mm. i i have a uh a newsletter the uh, the uh, url is alex-yablon.ghost.io um and, you know, I kind of like basically do the stuff I can't get editors elsewhere to publish. I put it up there, you know, like my thoughts on like bond markets and post-punk and like, you know, recipes I want to make and like how much, you know, doing a close ride, close reads of like, you know, uh, doing pop psychology on, on, on billionaires based on their bad memoirs. Uh, so if you want to read that kind of stuff, you should subscribe to my uh, my ghost. Um, and then uh, I write uh, elsewhere for a bunch of other places. Um, I'm a mm. contributing opinion uh, writer at Business Insider where I do some uh, regular columns about all the kinds of stuff that we've been talking about here. Um, yeah, embracing the void. Embracing the void. <laughs> drinking the Kool-Aid. Waluigi porn. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> mm, it's a reg. It's a regular roundup of the best Waluigi porn on the market. And right. to be honest with you, Alex, I I've not read a better one. I think yours really does. Well, top thank the pile. you. You know, and I think just to understand the potential, you know, great turn, the great hinge we're in, you know, the potential move <laughs> beyond neoliberalism, the kind of the meeting of the climate mm. crisis. You've you've got to look at the Waluigi porn. It's all there. Mm. Well, we will link to uh, we'll link to your to to ghost your ghost page in the show notes as well as to your Twitter. I love saying subscribe to my ghost. That sounds like something that would have gotten an eight point nine on Pitchfork in two thousand five. Oh uh, <laughs> ontology is when you subscribe to Alex's yes, ghost. Exactly. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah. And uh, as as you all know, we have please, a please goop on my Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> it's vital to my income. It's the haunting tier. Yes. <laughs> so uh, uh, we also have we have a Patreon, and yeah, you uh, can spook us up. On exactly, our you can subscribe to our ghosts on. Yeah, uh, you can goop on our collective Grinch. <laughs> uh, that the link is in the show notes as well. Five dollars a month mm. gets you tons of bonus content, and the ten dollar tier gets you two Britonologies a month. We also have Milo's shows, which are. Yeah, Masters of Our Domain. Listen to that. It's a cool podcast. I do it with Phoebe. You've, you've probably heard of Phoebe. Um, we talk about Seinfeld, but not really. Um, and uh, yeah, I am doing a preview on the 24th 
of this month, August, at the Seckford. There will be a ticket link in the description to this episode. And Hussein has a show, multiple shows to I plug. I have two shows, yeah. We have uh, 10K posts uh, with mm. Phoebe as well. Yeah. Um, people like are getting kind of convinced that she is real. More and more people are asking, <laughs> who is Phoebe? <laughs> Where did she come from? Uh, yeah, yeah, who's who's funding her? Um, oh, there were genuinely some hogs who thought that Phoebe had won like some kind of fucker fan contest. Not not understanding the concept yeah. of having friends. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, like you know, uh, friends don't exist. They're all just like they're all patrons. Um, and yeah, also it's colonialist to have friends. Right. And speaking of shows that you can listen for free, you should also mm-hmm. listen to Human Error on BBC Sounds. I do that with friend of the show Olga Cock yeah. uh, and that's very good too and also a quick yeah. plug for killing yourself before uh, <laughs> and your whole family I mean, like, Dignitas. consider killing your yeah. whole family <laughs> as well yeah. Norwegian style which, which podcast I mean like yeah which podcast would you listen to as mm. the asteroid comes to destroy you yeah. um, mine would be Pod Save America which trash future bit would you be playing when the asteroid impacts? Builders Valhalla. Builders Valhalla. Exactly. Builders Valhalla. Alice, of course, you have your show as well, a show about James Bond. Yeah, and about how we must kill James Bond because his existence is meaningless. So uh, <laughs> kill James Bond. Oh, can I just? I want to add one thing about the James Bond. I just there's a there was a piece I was just reading in the London Review of Books. Did you know that that Ian Fleming actually came up with the idea for the CIA? The article is Spy Masters by Charles Glass, and it, I'll just uh, oh. Alexander Coburn blamed Ian Fleming for the creation of the CIA. Well, Alexander Coburn kind of blamed a lot of people for well, a lot of yes. things, mostly justly, but in a kind of like uh, vitriolic way, which we would never yes. do. Um, no. But uh, but Fleming was a naval intelligence officer, and he was sent to Washington in 1941, and uh, he was whisked off to a room in a new annex of the embassy, locked in with a pen and paper and the necessities of life, a colleague recalled. And there he wrote, under armed guard, around the clock, a document of some sever- 70 pages covering every aspect of a giant secret intelligence and secret operational organization. He then handed it to Wild Bill Donovan, who was the guy who set up the uh, OSS, <laughs> who uh, basically stole it. Yeah, and then noth- and then and then I didn't see what happened after right. that. Mm. Right, exactly. And then that became the, the CIA. Mm. So yes, uh, Ian Fleming and, created and the CIA. that's why this podcast is about, to, is about to get cut off suddenly, <laughs> mid-sentence. <laughs> so yes, I agree, so, we need to kill James Bond. Kill James Bond, mm. listen to Kill James Bond, listen to Hell of a Way. I won't plug it too long. Yeah. And uh, thank you very much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.